Jesus in this sermon calls his disciples to a more demanding ethic than the law of Moses ever revealed. It's important for us that as we continue our study that we keep the context in view. And I want to press that lest we get confused and derail ourselves and maybe perhaps get into the weeds a bit. Jesus here is giving this sermon on a hillside by the Sea of Galilee, joined by fishermen who've left their boats, housewives who've left their daily chores, and farmers who have left their fields, all to hear this master teacher. The crowds have assembled, and Jesus calls out his disciples and sits them down and describes them. And and this message really begins easy enough. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. But the ethical demands that Jesus places become almost unbearable as he begins to move through this sermon. For I tell you, he says, unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus calls on his disciples to an exceeding righteousness and concludes this section in the sermon by saying, unless you are perfect like your heavenly father in heaven is perfect The kingdom is not for you. Well, as Jesus opens up this new section of the sermon, he deals with six topics concerning the law. He begins each with this phrase, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. At each level, Jesus begins to chip away at the innate sense of self-righteousness that plagues every man and every woman. Many of us might be tempted to say this morning, man, I am glad I am not that guy. I'm glad that that I've never done that. You see, we're so tempted to justify and rationalize our sin by saying things like, well, at least I haven't done that. Or at least I've never done this. It's easy enough for us to say, well, at least I've never killed anyone before. But can we say that we've never been angry? Jesus here in this passage puts a demand on us that is higher even than worship. Jesus is calling kingdom people to live like kingdom citizens. To to take on the distinctives of the kingdom of God. And so please do not misunderstand that dealing with anger isn't entry into the kingdom, but that dealing with anger is a mark of a kingdom person. That is, one who struggles with anger, one who's wrestling to overcome anger, overcome lust, overcome sexual immorality, overcome retaliation, overcome these particular issues, are those who are marked out by God as kingdom people. We are, as Christians, to move beyond merely obeying the letter of the law, but understanding and submitting to the spirit of the law. Jesus here in this passage we'll see this morning confronts an issue that all of us perhaps struggle with from time to time. And that is Jesus' teaching on anger. So I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 if you've not done so already. This morning, we're going to be in verses 21 through 26. This is Jesus of Nazareth. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. 
And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Anger brings about destructive and deadly consequences. Jesus calls on us to place a high priority, the highest of priority, on reconciliation and restoration within our relationships. Let me say that again. Anger, Jesus says, brings about destructive and deadly consequences. Jesus here takes anger and elevates it to the same deadly consequence as murder. Jesus doesn't treat anger like a, a little white lie issue. Some minor kind of thing that when we get time we'll deal with. But rather, Jesus elevates anger and says, listen, you might think you're righteous because you've never murdered. But let me say to you that if you've ever been angry, you've been guilty. So the purpose of our time is really for us. To really give, I think, humble and honest consideration of our anger and deal with it through the restoring power of the gospel. For you and I to understand as kingdom people, we must deal with this issue of anger. And so our text here identifies for us, Jesus here reveals three ways we are to make reconciliation and restoration a priority in our life. And that seems to be the aim that Jesus has. Dealing with anger by having reconciled relationships. By restoring relationships that have been broken over bitterness, hatred, and anger. And so this morning we see first that we need to have an understanding and come to the understanding of that anger is destructive and deadly. Jesus here is trying to inform our understanding that anger is no little matter. Anger is not just something that's like, ah, it's no big deal. Everyone gets angry. But rather to see it as something that is deadly in its consequence. That it destroys lives. It destroys souls. Secondly, we see here that we, that we make this reconciliation a priority by underlining the importance of dealing with anger. We need to see it. It's an important matter. Jesus tells a number of illustra- uses a number of illustrations here to illustrate the importance, the importance, the priority of dealing with anger. And then finally, in that final illustration that Jesus uses, he, he, he teaches us of the urgency in which we must deal with our anger. Anger is not something that we need to put on the back burner. Jesus says you need to deal with it urgently, lest you be locked away forever. Because of it. 
So let's look at these each in turn this morning. First, in verses 21 and 22, Jesus here uh, helps us understand the destructive and deadly nature of anger. Now, throughout the scriptures, God stresses this point about anger being destructive and deadly. So this isn't new. This isn't new revelation here. But Jesus here it really recalls an Old Testament law from Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not murder, right? And he develops it and understands and helps his disciples understand that murder is the fruit of harbored hatred and anger. That murder is a result of one who is unwilling to deal with the deadly and destructive nature of anger. He confronts the wrong idea that if I don't murder then I've not broken God's law. Again, Jesus here addresses the spirit of the law beyond the letter of the law. The Pharisees would have easily said, look, we've never murdered anybody. But how often throughout the gospel accounts do we see them motivated by anger and hatred of Jesus himself? Repeatedly, the Proverbs speak to strife and transgression that is stirred up by those who pursue anger and hatred. A hot-tempered man, Proverbs 15 says, stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Or Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The Proverbs describe a man who's under control as one who's more powerful than a warrior destroying an entire city. The Apostle James tells us that anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Or the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 calls us to put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander. To, to put it away, let it not be named among you. But the Bible also presents anger as righteous. The Bible speaks of God's anger towards the wicked, like we heard earlier in Psalm 37. Or we hear repeatedly throughout the imprecatory Psalms, like Psalm 69, where David there is declaring that God would, would righteously pour out his anger upon sinful humanity. Or, as the Apostle Paul taught the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, be angry and do not sin. He, he actually commands them to be angry yet without sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Furthermore, the Bible speaks about God's anger towards sinners. He speaks of him being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You see, there is a kind of anger that is a righteous anger, a holy anger, a desire to be frustrated and understanding that it's not about retaliation, about hurting others. But allows for repentance and reconciliation. Nevertheless, much of the anger to which we are naturally prone is wrong. However easy it is for us to rationalize it as righteous indignation. In other words, we often declare our anger is righteous when it's actually unrighteous. In this text, Jesus here draws out the deadly consequences of 
not dealing with anger. He uses a number of words to describe. Look what he says here. He says, but I say to you, verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus used these parallel statements to, to sort of as a circular downward argument. You think that murder is bad, but let me show you where anger leads, he says. A number of words that Jesus used here. Uh, the, the first one there, um, whoever insults, the, the, the ESV translates, literally means to call someone good for nothing. Or that third one there where you fool, literally, to call someone a, an idiot, a fool. The idea here is that the anger that Jesus is confronting is that which is pointed towards one's character and identity. Anger, hatred, judging is ultimately about control. Controlling a situation and controlling a person. Anger often is born out of a lack of control. We want to be in control and so we're frustrated and angry when we're not. We're, we're angry with people because we want to control people. and when, well, well, naturally people don't like to be controlled. And so when they don't submit to us and what we understand and what we think they should be like, we get angry. Fundamentally, Jesus here confronts anger and says that it is an attack upon the throne of God himself, for it displaces God as judge and sovereign ruler. This is why the Bible dives at anger so much throughout so much of Scripture. Because when we are angry, we are trying to be God. We are trying to have this self-righteous indignation when in fact we have none. The ultimate reason anger is to be avoided because it has no place in the inaugurated kingdom of God which Jesus is speaking. Jesus is like, kingdom people aren't angry people. They ain't got nothing to be angry about. Nothing to be hating about. Nothing. You are kingdom people. You were, you were bought with a price. The blood of Christ. My blood, he says, I died for you. There, there is no reason. Kingdom people need to deal with their anger. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, really helps, I think, give a good understanding of, of what happens when one is given in to anger. And anger really is a vicious trap that leads to murder. He writes this, The Germans perhaps at first ill-treated the Jews because they hated them. Afterwards, they hated them much more because they ill-treated them. The more cruel you are, the more you will hate. And the more you hate, the more cruel you will become. And so is the vicious circle forevermore. Good and evil both increase at compound interest, he writes. This is why a little decision you and I make every day are such infinite importance. An, an apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway in the, the bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. In other words, Lewis is saying you flirt with anger and it grows. You, just as you flirt with lust, it will grow. It, it will eventually lead to adultery. 
Jesus here, if you don't deal with anger when, when it's an infant, you will never overcome it. You must deal with it, he says. You must not let it grow and fester. And friend, this morning, as you think, it's so easy, and, and I was just trying to get my mind wrapped around this this week, is, is where is your anger lying? If you don't hear anything else this morning, let me help you with your anger with this question. The next time you're angry, the next time you feel this angst and anxiety of anger building in you, here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Why does this bother me so much? Why does it bother you? In other words, why? Is this angering you? Why is this particular individual frustrating you? What is it? What is it that they've done? What is it that they've said? What is it that they're doing that, that seems to be bothering you so much? Why? Why does this situation bother you so much? Why is it that it's causing you to lose the peace for which Christ has ushered in your life? Is your anger an intense anger? Is your anger an enduring anger? One that you just can't get over? Is it an unreasonable anger? You know, so often our anger is unreasonable. We, we get angry with folks and then, Why? Why does this, why? Is it perhaps an escalating anger? It's a growing, like Lewis said, where it just builds upon itself. And afterwards, you, it just blows out into this huge thing in your life where you can't get control of your anger. We see something in this text here. Jesus says, whoever is angry with his brother or sister. Is your anger aimed at a brother or sister in Christ? Jesus here is confronting a particular kind of anger, an anger which aims to hurt a brother or sister who has the blood of Christ throwing, flowing through them. And friend, the point is, is we've got to address anger. We, we can't just brush it aside as no big deal. Oh, I'll, I'll deal with that later. I'll, I'll get to that when I get time. No, no, we must deal today. Friend, confess your need of Christ. Seek the counsel of godly brothers and sisters in your life if you are struggling with anger, whether it be privately or publicly. Confess your need. Don't, don't brush anger under the rug, friend. Jesus says that anger results in the hell of fire. That's where anger leads. You don't think anger is a big deal? You're not willing to deal with anger today? Jesus says it ends in only one place, and that's hell, and not the kingdom of heaven. We must prioritize reconciliation in our life by not allowing anger to grow in our hearts. We must avoid anger at all costs and seek immediate and lasting restoration within our relationships. This is where Jesus is going. He says, listen, hey, I, you're going to be angry, okay? You're going to fall short here. And you're going to need to be reconciled. And so the aim of the Christian is to understand that we will be angry. There will be times where we will sin and we will need to confess our anger. But the goal is to be, is to be restoration. 
And this is where Jesus leads. That we make reconciliation a priority by understanding the importance of dealing with it. Look there in verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, so if you are offering, so he gives a little hypothetical situation here. So, so, so imagine you're at the altar worshiping. You've got this gift that you're giving and offering to the Lord. So, so you're at the offering and all of a sudden you remember not that someone has wronged you, but that you have wronged someone else. All of a sudden you remember that you've hurt somebody. You remember that your brother has something generic against you. Jesus says, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus in this text calls us to a serious self-examination of our heart towards others. It's funny what we remember. We think it's just our minds that remember that. You know, sin has a, has a way of hiding itself even among the most pious and faithful followers of Christ. Here's a guy who's at the altar worshiping. He's not down at the bar drinking. He's not down in the streets doing sinful acts. No, he's at the, he's at the temple worshiping. Everybody around him is like, look at this righteous guy. Look how godly he is. Look at this offering he's giving. And Jesus is confronting him. He's saying, look, you think you're okay with God, but you're not okay with God. Your worship is hindered by your hatred of your brother. And Jesus says, if you really want to worship the one true and living God, you've got to deal with your relationships. Jesus calls for reconciliation from the man before he offers worship to God. It's a reminder to us this morning that our horizontal relationships with one another often affect our vertical relationship with God. It really is quite difficult to gather with God's people on the Lord's day and sing, we will glorify when you can't stand the person next to you. Especially when that person's your spouse. It's really hard for you to honestly, with an integrity in your heart, give glory to the Father above when, when you can't stand another brother or sister. You see, brothers and sisters, reconciliation must take priority even over our worship. This is why Paul, in 1 Corinthians, in that very familiar passage that we read when we take communion, says you need to deal with unreconciled relationships before you take partake of the Lord's Supper. And the reason is, is because disunity, he uses the illustration of like a, a leaven that leavens the whole lump or like a cancer we would use modern like a cancer that spreads through the whole body if you if you don't go and deal with that cancer in its infancy what does it do it just keeps spreading through all the organs throughout the body if you don't deal with anger and disunity among god's people it just festers and spreads and before long it touches the whole body you see, God's word has a way of prodding and digging into our lives and exposing sin in our life, and particularly the sin of anger, the sin of division, the sin of hatred. 
David has this in mind when he, when he writes in Psalm 19, who can discern his errors? Declare me from innocent faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Brothers and sisters, what we need desperately is God's spirit to show us what kind of anger we are harboring in our lives. What, what kind of anger, what kind of thoughts and feelings maybe we don't even recognize. As David says, he says, who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent, he says, from hidden faults. Brothers and sisters, is there hidden faults in your life that you don't see? Pray that the Spirit of God would give an illumination. As this man was, was offering his gift, he, he just happened to remember, the text says. No, we under, understand this to be a divine passive where the Spirit of God is giving remembrance to this man. Where he is remembering that he's a sinner and he needs to reconcile with others. Fundamentally, we can't keep going on Keep moving down the same road. Jesus says he needs to stop his worship right there. Stop, he says, and put a priority over and against worship in dealing with anger. Spurgeon says it this way. Do not say I cannot help having a bad anger, have bad temper rather. Friend, you must help it, he says. Pray to God to help you overcome it at once. For either you must kill it or it will kill you. Here, he, listen to what he says. You cannot carry a bad temper to heaven. Friend, that's so true. Do we place a greater priority on dealing with other sins in our lives and only to ignore anger? How often do we hear people come and confess, man, I got an anger problem. No, we hear confessions about how we're struggling with lust or we're struggling with this or we're struggling with that. And we kind of brush it away and say, hey, everyone gets angry. Everybody's a road rager. Everybody's you know, yelling and screaming these days. And we just join right in with them. We get on Facebook and we post our little rants on there about what we think and this, that, and the other. Do you not understand that that just is a hindrance to people coming. Nobody is come to know Jesus through your ranting, all right? Through your anger. Your kids aren't coming to know Jesus because you're screaming and yelling at them all the time? Or because you're angry with this, that, or the other? But are there particular people or particular groups that you find yourself hatred of? You don't know where it comes from. It comes from your sin nature, by the way. But do you deal with it? Why do, why do they bother me so much? Why does this particular group just seem to really get under my skin? Why do I care? Friend, anger hinders worship. Friend, have you knowingly sinned against a brother or sister today? Jesus says, you need to deal with it. Don't let it go any longer. You need to put a priority. I don't care what you have going on in your life this week. I don't care what you have going on in your life today. Jesus says, if there is known, known sin of concerning anger, you need to deal with it right now. You need to deal with it today. 
Deal with it this week. Don't put it off any longer. Put a priority on reconciliation. Seek their forgiveness and turn to Christ for forgiveness today. Cry out to the Spirit that the Holy Spirit would give you a mind of understanding and remembrance of your unconfessed sin of anger. Friend, we prioritize restoration in our lives by identifying the areas where we are harboring anger toward others. This is the Christian way. This is the gospel way. This is what kingdom people do. We must understand the importance of dealing with our anger now and not later. This is why Jesus tells us thirdly in this passage that we must urgently deal with our anger. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus here gives us an illustration of the high price of not dealing with our anger. There is no doubt that reconciliation will come at a great, great price, great loss of time and energy and emotions, and probably, probably, most likely, the costliest of all in reconciliation is pride. This is why we began the service the way we did, talking about the lowly are who are welcomed, the contrite in heart in the prayer of confession. It is those who are humble and who are willing to confess that they are an angry, hatred person in need of forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus uses this illustration. He says in verse 20, 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser. He describes someone who has an accusation of debt. There's a debtor. He owes money. And this man is accusing him of not paying back his debt. And so the guy goes to court and sues him for his money. And he says, you better come to some sort of agreement, some sort of settlement out of court. Because once you get to court, here's the problem. That guy's going to, they're going to find you guilty because you are a guilty sinner. And he says, this is what's going to happen. They're going to hand you over the guard and then the guard's going to throw you in prison. And here's the deal. You're in prison. How are you paying back debt in prison? You're not. You know, not making license plates here, folks. Locked up. Nothing to do. No way to pay back your debt. And so he says, you'll, you'll be there until you pay the very last penny. See, this text makes clear that there is a great price to pay for not seeking reconciliation. Jesus makes explicit throughout this whole passage that those who are unwilling to seek reconciliation will face the hell of fire, that they will be locked away until they pay the last penny. He, he truly paints a graphic picture in our minds of one who is unwilling to deal urgently with sin, and particularly the sin of anger, the sin of broken relationships. Jesus here illustrates what it means to have our eyes open to the deadly and dangerous consequences when we don't deal with sin. You might think again this morning that it's not a big deal. Jesus says that anger is a big deal. Jesus says that broken relationships is a big deal. It's something worth pursuing. That reconciliation is always worth the cost. You see, because there's a twofold cost when you don't seek it. Not only the loss of relationship, but ultimately in this illustration, the loss of freedom. They're locked away. They have no freedom. Your anger 
does not lead about freedom, but imprisonment. Your hatred of others, your unwillingness to forgive others has bound you, enslaved you, imprisoned you. Rather than getting over it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Scripture requires that both the person charged with an offense and the one offended seek the other out. In the context of Jesus' illustrations here, it's one who has offended someone that seeks it out. But you know, in Matthew 18, Jesus deals with the opposite. If you have something against your brother, you're to go seek them out. You see, as Christians, we're to, we're to also pursue reconciliation on both sides. And so this morning, if you know that a, a brother or sister is angry with you, they don't want to talk to you anymore, just done with you, Matthew 18 makes clear that we ought, to, we ought to deal with that and try to strive towards reconciliation. Strive towards godliness. In the Old Testament, there's a great illustration of broken relationships. Jacob and Esau were two brothers. And if there's a guy <laughs> justified in his anger, Esau was that guy. I mean, his brother Jacob robbed him of his birthright when he was at his weakest moment in life. He tricked their father into blessing Jacob over himself. In short, Jacob stole everything that Esau had. Even Esau had to leave town because his anger towards his brother was so great, his family was afraid that he would murder him in a moment. Jacob has sent away. Esau flees. But you know, as time passes through the, the book of Genesis, we see the two brothers come together. And on that day when, when Jacob saw Esau in a distance coming, he was afraid of his life. He knew that Esau was justified in his anger towards him. The story doesn't end in a bloody battle where Esau destroys Jacob and his family. Although Jacob tries to appease him with gifts and, and, and tries to costly give it, Esau is the one who pays the price. Esau embraces his brother and forgives him. You see, Esau paid the greater price, the price of forgiveness. He forgave his brother and the two, we are told, were reconciled. Friend, do you understand Jesus' teaching here on the urgency of dealing with anger and working towards reconciliation? Friend, anger does not take you down the path of freedom, but imprisonment. There is no doubt that reconciliation, whatever the cost, is great. It is hard. It's difficult. Friend, church life is messy. People are messy. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to do things to hurt others. But we need to strive. We need to work to overcome anger and bitterness and strife. Work to love one another. And this is why we must put a prior priority on it. A sense of urgency in dealing with it. The truth is this. If you are unwilling to reconcile with someone that you are harboring anger toward, if you're unwilling to accept reconciliation from someone who's hurt you, if you're unwilling to forgive or seek forgiveness, then you're going to have a hard time understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to have a hard time understanding God's act of reconciliation towards you. 
You see, your ability to reconcile with your relationship begins with you reconciling with God. Through the atonement of Christ, God makes reconciliation and restoration with you possible. And as the Apostle Paul says, we then become ministers of reconciliation. Those who have been reconciled to God. And so God is not calling you this morning. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you need to take an anger management class. But you, what you need is to overcome anger through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That turn to Christ today to confess your sin of anger. And to trust in Christ that you may be made new and holy. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would be glorified through Christ. The gospel would be made clear. Father, we pray that we might deal with our sin and anger and bitterness. Let us not be afraid to be honest. For we have fallen short in our conversations and our relationships with our family and our friends, our, our brothers and sisters. We've harbored bitterness and anger. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd expose in us the need of the cleansing power of the gospel. Confess our need of Christ. That we would go this righteous way. It is for your glory in Christ's name we pray.